0: first time ever hear you loud and clearly
1: uh, and it was going place
0: that stuff's great
2: but the game is not a roguelike boomer shooter <laughs> Bang. hello this is john st john and you're listening to kwep in the key. Bringing you all the hits from the finest in the world of gaming and entertainment. Now sit back and relax as the Drowned God kathala lulls your mind with the tastiest talk in town.
1: Welcome to another chapter of In the Keep podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the Drowned God, the Motherlode. The Keep is a collective of gaming enthusiasts compelled by the Drowned God kathala to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. Alright, I am here with Damian, Tony, and Benjamin from Call of. Tell me if I say it wrong. Saragnar? Saragnar. I'm pretty close. Saragnar, okay. That, that was like the first thing that came up whenever... Uh, we, we, so the reason why we're here is we were in the Realms Deep Discord and we're just chatting about like, what are some cool games we could talk about this year and all that kind of thing. And then everybody, like five people, no lie, were like, you gotta check this game out. And I was like, okay. And then they typed it out for me and I was just like, uh, what the fuck does that say? And then <laughs> and then it ensued another hour of me and Dave and Nate Barron, who I mentioned before we started like, arguing about how you're supposed to pronounce this fucking name. Or... Or worse, just how to spell it.
0: <laughs> no problem. I, I thought I'd make uh, some uh, memes uh, to put into the game or uh, Easter eggs because everybody is calling it not Sergna, but Serengar. Mm. It rolls your tongue much easier, but uh, I don't know. I, I already registered the website, got the logo done and so on, so I'm not changing the name. I like <laughs> it. And but th- I was tempted to change it, yeah.
1: Where we where we go from there? The reason for bringing that up is to say, what does it mean?
0: Uh, it would spoil the story if I told you, but yeah, I don't know if I should tell just you. A then.
1: Hint, hint, just a little, little, tiny bite. Little it's more a,
0: it's an important Eber character in the game. Okay, that's yeah. that's
1: good enough. We can we can work with that. Yeah. So. The, the game itself, uh, for people who are just tuning in, don't know what the fuck we're talking about, is essentially a, I w- I'd call it like a spiritual successor to uh, Krondor, right? at Krondor, yes. And, and it looks very much like, even the combat looks very much like it. Um, with that said, a lot of folks that are like, you know, playing games these days have no fucking idea what you're talking about when we <laughs> mention that game. So Most it's don't. important to say like, yeah, like, it almost looks like fresh because it within the world of the retro games that are popular right now. I mean, obviously, like retro shooters are really big. Retro platformers are really big. And then the idea of a small studio taking on like a, a pretty vast RPG project is uh, like, OK, good luck with that. And <laughs> you guys are doing pretty damn well from what I can tell with the demo. So what have been your kind Thank of you. challenges in planning this thing? Like, how are we going to take on this project? <laughs>
0: I'm not planning much, to tell you the truth. Uh, it's a really, really long-term project. It's been in development, Unity development, using the Unity engine for around five years, nearly five years now. What I was it before at... Unity? Ooh, um, initially, I wanted to make it a uh, an iOS game. Uh, it was wow. a very text-heavy, so heavy, it was basically a text adventure. hmm but since uh, Unity uh, Unity developed its new UI tools, uh, because before that it was terrible, uh, now it was doable, very doable. So I first thought of just putting that text text adventure game into Unity. But then, what the heck? I'll put some three D graphics in. Very simple. And then, what the heck? They became a bit more complex, and uh, I think I'm settled now on the style. So, uh, at least for now. So it became something larger, uh, more, more, more modern. Let's say more approachable.
1: Well, it's absolutely beautiful. I mean, if nothing else, it looks fucking fantastic. Thanks. Um, uh, I really, really like the way that the, the foliage unfolds and everything. It's pretty stable. I didn't have any crashes or anything like that at all throughout the whole demo. So Thanks, it
0: was, uh, it was fairly tested, so, but it's also a small demo, so uh, I haven't put yeah. features, many features in uh, like a journal and many things are missing from the demo, but yeah, it's, uh, it was something to, to, to give to my patrons because the project is uh, supported by patrons. So uh, I have to throw them a bone. It was I'm only really fair.
1: That you early on decided to like, let's just crowdfund this thing. I, it bothers me to know end when developers are like I'm just gonna beat my head against the wall and not have any money and starve to death while I make this game
0: no it's so. too it's too long a project uh, the dream okay. is to be able to afford development all via patreon but uh, we'll see it's a long way to go
1: so having having that patreon early on gives you an idea of like who your audience is I'm assuming so when you know we, you guys have like a discord for the game and everything I assume. yeah we okay. do so you're interacting with people who are th- at this early stage already interested in supporting the game itself. But can you kind of tell who, like, who they are and what, what about this project interests them so much?
0: Most of them uh, are fans of Betrayal Kronder. I'm yeah. pretty sure most of them are. But then also all those who like the 90s uh, RPGs like Daggerfall. Yeah, <laughs> many people like Daggerfall and uh, Might and Magic Six, uh, and then uh, Morrowind. I'd say it's a bit newish game. It, it's not really the early nineties, uh, but um, yeah.
1: So what a strange world we live in, where you can say like Morrowind is kind of a newish, like it's a little too new for this project. <laughs> <laughs> it is.
0: It, it's yeah. It doesn't use. Um, uh, flat trees and mm-hmm. you know it's still um yeah
3: and it has some voice acting in it so
0: it does yeah between the demo. chapters there is there will be there is narration which is currently the damage done by Tony yeah <laughs> yeah might be might be me the whole way through depending <laughs> it might be <laughs> I'd be down with that though that's fine
2: um, so the.
1: The characters themselves, w- now that we're talking about that, yeah. the pictures of the characters that you use for them, who are these people?
0: Uh, that's a funny story. but um, well, not that funny, but, you know, Betrayal at Krondrym used used um, basically people from the studio. They photographed them, put them in uh, LARP costumes, fake beards, and so on. And uh, if I was to make a spiritual successor or a game similar, uh, I thought, what the heck are you? I'd like to have actors too. And thankfully, well, in my country, there are not many uh, uh, reenactors, medieval reenactors, or LARPers who do that. Or if they are, they are a bit further away. I couldn't use them or call them. They're too far. But um, I live uh, about 50 minutes from the border to Italy.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And in Italy, I speak Italian, so that's no problem. And in Italy, uh, there are many, many medieval reenactment groups and I had the pleasure to meet uh, one of them, one of those groups uh, who are hardcore gamers, old school gamers, uh, D&D players, uh, Warhammer players and so on and uh, they were all very excited uh, when I told them what I was going to do and they basically did it for free. Uh, Some of them... Some of them left because there was a dispute uh and, uh and the group split in two basically but still uh i i have I keep them uh close all of them so I hope to continue <laughs> uh this uh for the shooting thing with all of them but even if not uh there are many groups and many people that uh, I became friends with that uh would be willing to continue this thing.
1: Because at first I thought Huyen was just a picture of
0: you. No, <laughs> he's not me. <laughs> me
3: too. <laughs> okay.
0: He is right here. Yeah. Yes. Uh, people don't see it, but I'm pointing at uh, the artwork that, uh, uh, that I made. I had made for the game. And uh, yeah, Huyen is uh, also one of my friends from from uh that uh, reenactment group
1: Re- renaissance fair like uh, that's what we call
0: they are it. they're all of them are have doctorates in archaeology or history so uh it's they're really passionate about uh, the middle ages so uh yeah they are all hardcore Actually, they they make yeah, their costumes they sew their costumes costumes and uh I also, for a while, uh, joined them in the reenactments at the castles, and it was really a fun experience. But I'm not that hardcore. I wouldn't be sleeping in the rain uh, in that small tent in the camp, flooding with mud like they do. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it was a really fun experience.
1: So I like to kind of dive into, and I'll do this with each of you, actually, like what... Your background is and what brought you to where you are now in terms of being developers. And so, for you, I'd start with Damian uh, since you're already talking. <laughs> when did you first start drawing? Drawing. Well, you make artwork, so I'm assuming you drew it on paper. Uh, but may- maybe you
0: didn't. How, I'm not that good, you know? of a, good of an artist. Um, I, I
1: like, I'm looking at your artwork in the background, and it's no, that's memorable. not my artwork. <laughs> I what? had it.
0: I had it made. Oh my I. God. There's, there's, a, there's a really, really great artist. Uh, Please shoot me. The Brush of Thor is his uh, nickname. You can, you can find him on Twitter. Okay. Uh, he's a very talented guy. Uh, and I couldn't even remotely or possibly draw anything like this. Uh, I'm good with texturing. Using, uh, you know, the style of the game feels a bit realistic. Because I am using basically photos for everything. Mm-hmm. I modify them a bit, but I use photo material, original photo material, not drawn for everything. So, so do uh, you
1: do you pull assets from like open source sites or?
0: If I don't uh, have them, if I haven't taken them myself, I always carry a camera with me wherever I go. I always, uh, you know, the medieval towns. I take photos of doors, of uh, walls, of uh, the ground, the walkways, and so on, wherever I can. And if I don't have uh, enough or, or good material, I take it down from, uh, from sites, from textures.com, for example. Um, but I try to use my material as, as much as I can.
1: All right, so let's, ref- <laughs> let's try a different question that actually applies. Yes. <laughs> to When did you first uh, become interested in development?
0: I think it was the early 90s when I played Betrayed Corner. That was was what sparked my interest in in game development. So it took you
1: 30 years to decide, like, okay, let's let's make something? Yeah.
0: Basically, uh, to gather all the experience that I needed to make this thing or keep working on it, uh, I had to learn a lot of things. I did 12 years of uh, web development front end development mm-hmm. and only 5 6 years ago I I gathered enough skills to be able to start working on this gigantic thing. Uh, it it was not easy but uh, yeah finally I I felt like I was ready. But uh, I couldn't do this I think 10 years ago in no way. I I made some small uh, let's say I made a demo uh, of an RPG, very small demo, a dungeon uh, with this really, really, uh, really little story, but uh, that got published in a here a local magazine. <laughs> I was so happy when it was published, uh, but then uh, I knew uh, when I made that, I knew that my skills had reached. <laughs> the limit, uh, and I simply dropped the idea of making games until until the time, the right time came.
1: Okay, let's move on, Benjamin. Uh, you're this is one of the more interesting jobs in game development as far as I'm concerned. Do you know who Marky Music
3: is? Um, I might have heard it before. Michael Marky. I, okay. I think I might have heard of him, but I don't know. Sorry. So,
1: so okay, so he d- he did a lot of he was a musician first and foremost, and he did a mm-hmm. lot of stuff for like Quake games and doing doing mods and stuff like that. Um, and then eventually worked his way into doing some music for Quake Champions, and now he works at 3D Realms, not only as a musician but as like a level designer. And then also on top of all that, he does sound design for a bunch of indie oh. games. And so I had him on the show, and we discussed at length, like ad nauseum, <laughs> how fucking difficult it is to create a uh, sound design. yeah i can relate a bit so what's what's your process are you just like breaking watermelons on your kitchen
3: floor (laughs) (laughs) actually for the stabbing sounds of the throwing knives and i stabbed a pumpkin so um yeah pretty close um it's my approach is uh, a bit more in recording and less in designing or maybe Mm -hmm. making it out of thin air because i I've became interesting in the whole Foley area in ambient recordings and stuff like that. Um, I'm a I'm a programmer by day, so that's not my, my full-time job. That's just a project I started on the side and really fell in love with. So now I have a little company on the side for sound design, and I've been part of a big uh, modding project for a couple of years, um, Skywind. I don't know if you heard of it. It's like remaking Morrowind in the Skyrim engine for the last seven years or so. Yeah. So... Um, then I started to really accumulate more, more and more knowledge about it and talked with other people about it. And yeah, so I tried to go out just like uh, Ruan, try, try to go out and record real sounds for footsteps, for rain, for everything. And especially for Call of the regna I got a, a special mic from, from a guy in Texas who makes these amazing lo-fi mics that sound like they're like from the 50s, but have like a high quality recording. It's a bit hard to explain, but it's like it's gritty but not shitty sounding. Yeah. So I can mix <laughs> that in and now it's now we have these kind of lo fi type sounds that are mm, yeah. Still a bit high quality, I I hope. That's my my kind of approach for Call of Serena. So yeah, I go out and record a lot. I record a lot in my studio and make a mess. And so that's my process. And then I of course mix sounds in there because for stuff like fire, my wife won't let me uh, set the house on fire, of course, so that's <laughs> why I'm trying to like get source material and mix that in with my with my own stuff.
1: You go down to the Renaissance spheres with the Damian and I'm sure they have a roaring fire you can record.
3: Yeah, but that's always the problem. If you start to work in sound, you notice that you have a lot of great sound sources, but getting them isolated for sound mm-hmm. design for for video games is really hard, because if you have movies and you have like a big, bustling city, you can just record some ambience but if you need like a sound that can be played in total silence or maybe yeah. in a cave or some, somewhere else you have to get it as, as dry as possible and then yeah getting stuff like rain for example with traffic outside is yeah not really appropriate for such a game so you have to like drive yeah. out in the countryside maybe at night to record really good d- dry rain so to speak so yeah it's sometimes a lot of effort even if you didn't yeah think of it at first
1: it's interesting that you do the foley thing because most industry folks are like no fuck that they just buy like yeah. a sound library and manipulate it you know to their yeah. to their will and I I've had a lot of fun um currently I can't talk about what the project is but I will say I've been doing sound design for a project uh for a little while now and I I understand your pain because I wanted I, in the game we had a geyser right yeah. like a and I wanted the sound of the great geyser in Iceland but it was like nearly impossible to find one that didn't have like people talking or bird sounds and shit in yeah. the background like so i totally get your pain there
3: absolutely for some sounds it's really really hard and you might have to create them but um yeah i try to get as much as close to the natural thing as possible and that's i mean the good thing is i don't as this isn't my day job i don't have to make it cost effective so mm-hmm. if i take like 2 or 3 weeks to get like one bird sound, one perfect bird sound, that's fine. Because, yeah. So, I'm really lucky that way. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: the whole situation with this game is it, it's dramatically different than any of the other stuff that I've really talked about on the show before. So, I'm, I'm enjoying seeing how you guys completely differ. Because it seems like you're all, at least the two of you so far, have are coming from a relatively isolated place of how, how you approach things it's not it's not yeah. like you're like a oh well i've you know worked in the sound design industry for years and, I, and then i decided to do an indie project it's pretty fun actually to know that you're just going to do everything <laughs> as, as naturally as you can yeah. with electronics recording and all that kind of crap but so one of the differences is the fact that this game is supposed to be kind of a medieval natural setting so when you when you're talking about like something like a, a boomer shooter, like a true game that has guns and you know techno sounds and all this kind of crap, there is no natural reference for that sound. All we have really is the, the pre-existing idea of what those things sounds like in movies and video games that we've seen before, right? So, a uh, a gun sound, like a, the sound of a, a shotgun going off. Yeah. In real life, if you were to record a shotgun. And then try to stick it in your game as the shotgun sound. It would sound like shit. No one would think it sounded good at all. Uh, Whereas you know the sound of iron clinking together, you know, or or an arrow flying through the air, or footsteps in the water. Like that's all stuff that you have a real reference for. Like we know what that sounds like. So it's actually pretty cool that you just decided to go that route. Because you could be on free sounds, just like okay,
3: footsteps in the mud sounds good. I'll use that. (laughs) The cool thing is that I I approached ruin because I saw the game, I, I think, on Twitter or somewhere. Mm. Yeah, I think on Twitter or on YouTube. And I found it really interesting and really, like, yeah, as, I, as I'm a fan of the 90s myself or the 90s areas games, um, I just approached him and said, hey, do you need sounds for the game? But because I really wanted to make sounds for this game because that really spoke to me. And I I guess, Arun, you would, would have been fine with uh, sounds from a pack until you met me, right? Yep.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh,
3: and I convinced you, him to, like, let me, let me have a crack at it, and yeah.
0: Yeah, I thought uh, initially I was thought of having really, really crappy sound. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know where to get them, you know. Uh, I know that you can get textures from certain sites, uh, legally and so on, but sounds? There are only so many out there, and everybody using those sounds, uh, um, I wouldn't know what to do. So it was a blessing uh, to get Ben on board.
1: Now, do you do any post-editing with the sounds? Like, once you get them, are you changing? No,
0: not really. I'm trusting him. I'm just uh, adjusting stuff as he uh, yeah. as he recommends and so on.
3: Yeah, and I try to keep, like, the recording as naturally as possible just for sounds where I can't use the special lo-fi microphone. Um, I have, a, for example, a parabolic mic. I don't know if you're um, familiar with those. That's like a... The stuff with the really big dishes um, they used to have in the spy movies to spy on people, mm. um, and if you like have to record birds from far away because you can't just stick a microphone in their beak. Um, I have to lo- use like special microphones, or for underwater stuff, I have to use special microphones, and I try to, yeah, just adjust them in post to to make them fit the rest. But most of the stuff I try to keep as natural as possible, and just do some EQing and just make them, yeah, like make the recording the version I like to have in the game and then, yeah, go from there.
1: So you take a big ray gun that looks like a satellite dish and you shoot yeah. a parabolic wave at them, like, bam, and then... You no, it's more, it it's
3: more like a, a big ear. It's like a, okay. the sound is, like, captured <laughs> in this whole dish and, yeah, it's amplified and you can, like... If you move it, like, a centimeter to the right, you can hear the, the car moving. So you have yep. to, like, really get, get the, the bird. And sometimes you don't see the stuff you record, so it's just, yeah, it's crazy what you can do with sound, but... So I want
2: one. That sounds fun. <laughs> yeah.
0: So do you if point it at the me, bird? Do you point it at the bird or do you point at the sound?
3: Um, <laughs> depends on what I want to get.
0: Yeah.
3: Sometimes you really have to adjust it a bit if it's far away. But yeah, it's it's crazy. It's a whole it's a whole thing I'm trying to, to learn to navigate because it's like a whole different tool. And that's with, with many of those microphones. I try to get as many strange stuff as possible. So I have like one for recording electricity, which is amazing, and one I can <laughs> just throw in the lake and, and record underwater sounds. And I try to yeah experiment with that stuff and but for most of the sounds in Call of the Ragnar, I try to keep them naturally and just like you hear them outside. Sometimes I have to add something to it, especially for stuff like combat sounds, because um, yeah, a knife flying through the air in the real world doesn't really make a sound, but you need some kind of feedback. But I try to tone it Down a bit, so make it like old school 90s and not over the top, like you said, like the shotgun sound in Doom, which is amazing, but it's ultra unrealistic. So, yeah. Yeah. The only thing I really make in the studio or like use other sounds is for magic because I want to make a contrast between the real sounds in the world, like footsteps and birds, and the magic. The magic, um, so this doesn't have the old school treatment. So, this is like uh, high quality sounds that stick out a bit and yeah that's how i'm trying to give the the sonic atmosphere of the game like a real uh you some design. magic to the
0: magic
1: yeah <laughs> thus far it's like super immersive man like i i very much enjoyed it it was probably like an hour or so it took me that well it was supposed to take me an hour it probably took me more because i was writing down notes the whole time like yeah. every okay. it was very tempting for me to just like man do you want me to like write everything out it for you <laughs> like because the uh like, the, the text box were, like, insanely uh, – for me, it's okay. I like text adventure type stuff, but for some people, they're like, oh, cool. Uh, you know, I like I like Skyrim. I like that kind of shit. I'll check this retro-looking game out, and then they're, they're going to, like, just – oh, fuck, I have to read a book, basically. It's not what i <laughs> You know at the hut, it's a text, it's a
0: text <laughs> adventure, right? It's not an RPG. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, getting all of the uh, – all if you're going to write that much, like, getting it all edited properly and everything is going to be a huge fucking task and. I mean, the obvious idea was just like, why don't you guys just do voice acting? I get that it's you know not necessarily cost effective, but the the little bit of voice acting you have so far, it's pretty damn good, which I I enjoy that. So let's talk to the man who is
2: doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I when I did the narration, I was like, Man, should I just get into voice acting? I was like, should I just be a VO? Should I like voice eight characters in the game? I could do all sorts of voices. Although that's a little bit more like New York 1960. <laughs> It'd be really cool to have like, fucking, like a fucking mafia guy in the game. Yeah. Give <laughs> yeah. me mafia characters in the game, Damian. I'm, you're all set. <laughs>
0: I'll put one just for you. You're <laughs> natural. <laughs> so good. Yeah.
1: Ever since I could remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Uh, yeah. But then I went through a portal in time, and now I'm here in Saragnar. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking terrible. I'm right. writing have this down. Holy there's no cannolis. There's no fucking spaghetti.
3: <laughs> if, you, if you
1: need anyway. a voice
2: actor, <laughs> yeah, right. That's great. Oh my gosh, I'm very impressed. So uh, no, so uh, yeah, the the narration was sort of um, for the demo specifically, and I mean, obviously it'll it'll you know probably likely carry over into the the final product, but um, I know for the for the this prologue, this little demo that uh, Damian's been creating. Um, it was just sort of like, Hey, like we need a voice actor. Like, do you know anybody? I was like, well, it's like my dad's a radio host. I was like, I kind of do this kind of narration stuff with my own, like videos and tutorials or whatever it is. And uh, so I gave a crack at it and I, I enjoyed that quite a bit. It's like so good
1: so hey, far. Like I, nothing, nothing like at all about it at all that that stood out, man, that's kind of weird. Nothing. Everything so far seems to just work perfectly. And you really, because you're like the sole voice actor so far, you're the only thing that really brings the characters to life in that regard. You know? Right. So that's not even what you signed up to do because you're the musician.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I do the music. Uh, I have been doing the music um, and will continue to do the music. And it's going to be crazy. I was just talking to someone the other day, actually, like how wild it's going to be when it's all done and like when basically like on Spotify or wherever is like, you know, the call of Zaragnar like four hour soundtrack or wherever, however long it's going to be. I don't know. Two, two hours, maybe three 40, hours, 40, 40, yeah, 40, 40, please. <laughs> 40 hours. Um, so either way, it's, it's, it's been a real treat, uh, to make music for this game for sure. Real treat, like a big treat.
1: What was your background in music? How did you get started doing it?
2: Yeah. Uh, So my background in music is, is kind of crazy. Um, and a little wild, but I started, I started writing music. Uh, I was, I grew up in a very musical household. So my mom is a, is a pianist. Uh, my brother's a pianist, my dad's a guitarist and a singer, my sister's a singer. So like, it's a very musical household that I grew up in. And I started, uh, actually kind of doing like covers of Coldplay and covers of Muse, like piano and keys and voice, like in high school. Right. Um, and then someone at the time, uh, who shall remain nameless, because now she's like like three, some crazy million subscriber ASMR artist uh, that I knew in high school. Uh, so, so back then, uh, she said, you know, you should try writing, you should try writing music. And I said, uh, no, nah, I don't know about that. You know, I don't know about that. But I tried it, really fell in love with it. So I kind of started out as like a singer songwriter, but I grew up in a house that was my mom was always playing Bach, playing the organ. You know, classical music was very much a part of my upbringing as well. Um, so I kind of got into that world a little bit, went to school for music composition. So I've got a degree in music composition for like the classical music world. Um, and that was really how I started writing music, you know, string quartets, orchestras, concert bands, you know, all that classical music stuff. And, uh, but during the sort of my college years, Uh, a friend of mine said, Hey, you know, I need some help with a video game, uh, video game soundtrack. And, uh, that game since come out and no one really even knew about it, but either way helped them out with that just as sort of as an assistant. And that got me into like the world of like, all right, you know, I kind of really enjoyed making and working on music for games. I grew up with game music. Uh, you know, I've always been a fan of game music. You know, we mentioned Morrowind. Gosh, I played Morrowind religiously, you know, I mean, it was just such a, I was such a fan of that game. Um. Played a little Daggerfall. You know, I I think more so was really into like the Mist series. Anything that was like point and click for me was was a huge, uh, huge, huge game and appeal for me. So long story short, uh, long story short, dabbled in game music in college, and really then I knew I got engaged in college as well. I was like, okay, I've gotta I've got to make this something before I graduate. So I started finding little tiny gigs in college, just like game jams and things that people don't even hear. You can't even find that on my website or anything anymore, like things from like five, six years ago. Um, so either way, uh, that's how I got started. And then I came across uh, Call of Saracanar, and uh, I think it was on Tigsource, back when Tigsource was a thing. Um, it was a forum. Yeah, I think that I think there was t- the, the indie game source. I think it was that yeah, forum that yeah. I – I found and and reached out to reached out to Damian and just said, hey, like, I love this. Uh here's some of my stuff. D- you know, do you need music, basically? It was sort of just like this uh very frankly, just a very straightforward kind of conversation. And we then we connected and uh I think I was brought on in late 2016 or early 2017, I forget. Um and I I, I guess I guess you could say that my music is is very much classically influenced. You know, I think we live in a world now where all the rage in game music is like, something I've been seeing a lot these days is called digital fusion, which is sort of like this, I don't know if it's like kind of pop, electronic. It's very popular. It's very popular in the indie scene. Like digital mm-hmm. fusion is like this new genre. And for me, here I am like doing all this like intricate counterpoint and like, you know, Bach, you know, JS Bach style stuff. And so I kind of, feel like there's a certain my music will, will definitely like and I've I've realized this over the past couple years it's like you know it's going to cater to a certain crowd uh, it's going to cater to a certain genre of indie games and funnily enough you know I'm working in Call of Sariknar, which is kind of medieval influence um, which fits my mold quite well and then uh, I can't say what the projects are but you know one other game is going to be uh, <laughs> almost very much Kind of similar in terms of style, but really leaning into like the old school stuff, like really using the Roland sound canvas and stuff. And then another game, I also can't say what it is, that I'll be starting later this spring is another like retro kind of 90s, whatever. So it's like, you know, I guess this is where I'm supposed to be, you know, and I love it. I love it. I love every second. I'm not complaining by any means. I really enjoyed seeing people who
1: just focus on what they like, right? Like, so you just had a passion for classical music and finding just, you know, finding the projects that work for them that are like, I was meant to do this sort of thing. Right. So like uh, the popular example right now would be like Andrew Holschult, uh, who does the music for ba- basically every indie shooter out there right now. I mean, he's like the number one guy you want to hire for that. Right. And he plays like, you know, heavy metal and he can also do like synth wave. So he- he's got a wide breadth of his capability in terms of that. Uh, but I mean, there were, what, what do you do? How do you market yourself in 2016 and say like, oh, well, I, I specialize in music that works for retro FPS projects.
2: Yeah. Right. And I'm
1: like, um, okay, cool. Um, We'll let you know if we ever need you. And then eventually someone needs you and then another person needs you. And then the genre right. blows up. Right. Uh, in your case, having a soda solo, solo developer, because a lot, you know, like you get a lot of these classical soundtracks in bigger games, right? Like, you know, God of War, Skyrim, that kind of shit. But these are composers who, have a fucking orchestra at their disposal, usually. Uh, in your case, having someone who can do that as a solo musician um, for
2: small projects is a valuable asset, dude. That is fucking awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah, well, and then that was, that was like, that was the thing, too, is because when I, I was brought on, um, again, roughly, I think it was early 2017 or so, um, and I'm not going to lie, and this is probably the first time Damian's hearing me say this, but I think at that time, and again, come and, bear in mind, I came from like, and I still do that. I still work for you know local ensembles and stuff. Just they need a piece for whatever. Okay, here it is. you know, And they perform it. And I still work in that field uh, mm-hmm. as needed. And so I come from a place where I notate everything. I put it on sheet music. I hand it to a conductor and they play it. So coming from then, that point for five years, and then switching over into like, okay, well, now I need to mix my own music. Now I need to master my own music. Now I need to kind of produce my own music. Um, that's a steep learning curve. It's an entirely different skill set. and so when I was first brought on uh, actually I think my, I had my five I think it was 2016. I'm gonna I'm just I'm gonna figure it out after this. Um, the, I was still in a way there was still there was still like this little bit of this little bump of knowledge that I kind of needed uh, that I felt would cater to this soundtrack a little bit more. And so I worked on a few other projects during that time. Um, and just this past June, uh, and even now I'm going back to those earlier tracks and like redoing them. I'm like remixing them. Uh, because again, there was like this little hump of like, you know, this could be better. It's fine where it is, but it could be better. And I, over the past couple of years, I've really been honing, um, certain skills in terms of mixing for orchestra and mastering for orchestra and just, um, making that like you said, as one person kind of, kind of making that work as best as I can at this stage, you know, I'm not, I haven't been doing it for 30 years. Um, and so, you know, someone like Alan Meyerson could mix an orchestra piece in probably like a, a minute, you know, <laughs> a piece of cake. All right. He's, he's mixed for like Hans Zimmer and stuff. Um, so it's, it, it's been, it's been an interesting process working on this game because it's been a lot of like, okay, I'm going to do something for it. And then another project comes into the, into the fray and I do that. And then I'll go back and, Learned something along the way, but now, basically starting since I think October or September, it's really been a consistent. Okay, now I am really here to really work on this every week. Like it's it's part of my weekly schedule now. Whereas before it was kind of on and off, uh, remixes here and there, new track here and there. But now it's like okay, let me redo all that old stuff and move forward. Um, which is a bit, so it's very exciting right now. It's very exciting right now because I feel like I can actually. I feel like I'm actually creating what I sort of wanted to be creating three years ago, if that makes sense. Um, So it's interesting.
1: No, it's, it's fun because I mean, you you had like the classical training in terms of like how to make music, but Hmm. where do you get the training to without going to school for it? Unless you did, and you can say if you did or not, but okay, well, now I need to record this shit and edit it and all this on a computer. So then you have to learn how to use a DAW. You have to learn how to right. just all that kind of shit. And it's it's fun with the, the indie scene in general because you get a lot of uh, autodidacts and uh, just people who are beating their head against the wall kind of just trying to figure out like, okay, how do I accomplish the goals that I want to accomplish? Um, and for Ben, I'm sure that's like a whole different animal. <laughs> but it's... It's kind of wild. Like, so how do how do you deal with the fact that okay, I started something four years ago, and then now or, or five years ago, I guess, and redoing it now with the skills that you've learned
2: along the way. Yeah, you know it. It's 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 both frustrating and also really eye opening. Yeah. Uh, even just even just yesterday, I was working on something else for. Um, there's a. A developer named The Meatly. he made Bendy and the Ink Machine, kind of, uh, you know, I'm doing kind of a little uh, YouTube intro for him. And I did it last year, and I was like, I listened to it again a couple days ago, and I was like, wow, because I just got all the, you know, new studio wall treatment and stuff. I was like, wow, this sounds like garbage compared to what I can do now. So even just in a year's time, so much can be learned. And I feel like, again, unless you've been doing it for 20, 30 years there's always going to be something that you learn along the way. And therefore you have to just kind of accept certain things as they are, as a reflection of that time and move forward. Right. Cause that's a very dangerous hole to get into. You, you learn something new and you're making all this stuff and you go back. Right. And then you can kind of get into this vicious cycle of never stopping Ben, uh, Ben more than anyone here. Uh, he and I have had conversations about this uh, many times and, um, I think I think now though now I'm at I, at a point where it's like you know what I feel confident that even if I learn new stuff, where my skills are now will be, you know, well suited and more than suited uh, and good enough to, to so to speak for the for the whole game of Call of Saragnar. and I'll probably you know tweak things here and there as I go, and that's fine. But um, it's it's definitely eye opening to like pull up an old file and be like, wow, that's what it sounded like. And people still thought it sounded good. You know? So like it's, it's both kind of scary and also reassuring in a way. So one of the
1: dynamic differences between the, what you guys are both doing here is I'm assuming you're working like all of your music is just recorded straight into the digital interface and then you edit it from there.
2: Correct. Um, Yeah. I mean, I'll get a, I, I would like to do live musicians at some point, but yeah, yeah, for the most part it's all virtual libraries so look just looking at both of your rooms right now
1: like you've got the keyboard, you have got the headphones, like you're good to go. This motherfucker's got acoustic <laughs> padding set up all around the room. Like it's it's a whole different animal because he's trying to capture like live sounds whereas like the, the job of the musician is just like well, let's make the music and see how it fits in. Uh so what what is the investment that you've had to make in yourself to get to where you are? And then I have a follow-up question to that.
2: Wow. Is this for Ben or for me? For both of you, yeah. Then do y'all, you want to go first? Say the, the old no. southern y'all.
3: Yeah, <laughs> y'all. Okay, you'll start, Tony.
2: All right. Yeah. So I would say investment, <laughs> my life. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, it's been a journey of well, so. I would say I would say not not only good-sounding good, good sounding sample libraries, because those are just kind of a, a side tangent here, but Damian and I, when I first started making the soundtrack, it was sort of like real orchestra, right? And then we were like, well, it's kind of a 90s game, so why don't we do something that sounds more like a Roland, you know, an old Roland kind of mm-hmm. MIDI-type stuff? And we tried it for a few tracks, and then we kind of collectively agreed, and it's like, you know what? This game's going to be huge, and people are so accustomed to, like, good-sounding stuff. Um, in terms of, like audio quality. Right. Yeah. Uh, that we just felt, and even, even some visual liberties taken that Damian and I have talked about sort of that it, it kind of mimics that nineties era without being like exactly right. There's, there's little, there's a little create, there's a few creative liberties that, uh, you know, we took for the music to, to, so now it sounds like a real orchestra, uh, even though it looks like a nineties game, it still sounds like a, a nice live orchestra for the sake of it being, as pleasant of an experience listening-wise that we can make, so you could say that my investments uh, have been number one. Just a bunch of practice, not only for this game, but in other and other in other uh, games and other projects, and just side projects and, and time and, and craftsmanship, basically, and also like gear. Uh, so getting nice. I've recently over Black Black Friday this past year. I got uh, you know the the Berlin Orchestra, you know sound basically just the brass, the woodwinds, the strings, and they sound so good. And like, I wasn't using these libraries before. And now I've been beating my head. I'm like, well, I just got to, you know, like, do I go back and redo everything? And it's like, no, I can't, I can't do that. So um, either way, so probably gear. And I bought a new computer over the last couple weeks. I've been putting up, you you look at Ben's panels. I have a few of those in here now, uh, more so for a mixing environment. Um, So I, you know, buying all that stuff, building that, putting that together. So it's it's mostly my investment's been time, like time spent creating, time spent learning on YouTube for various things, and then uh, gear, a new computer, 128 gigabytes of RAM, rocking and rolling. <laughs> so uh, this should hopefully last me for another eight years, I'm praying. <laughs> we'll see. Yes.
1: insanity.
3: All right, Ben. Okay, so yeah, I totally agree with the my life part because um, it started out for me, it started out... I wanted to make a bit of electronic music just as a fun project. And then I found like an audio engineer course to, to learn mixing. And that's when it started to get really intense. And that's why the padding is up there. And, um, but I, over the course, I found out that the thing I'm really interested in is not, uh, the music making, but the mixing or the sound stuff. And also mm-hmm. those little tiny sounds that maybe just are in one track for like a second, but are just the exact right sound and, and just feel right. And then I started uh, with the recording stuff, as I told you uh, before. And the thing I've learned is how much time it takes to like get a really tiny sound. That's the most important thing that you can't just like go out and say, okay, I want like five footsteps. That is going to take me 10 minutes. And then it's done because you learn that if you drive around and your car is, you, you just switched off your car, it makes noise people make noise, the rain makes noise, Um, so much traffic noise that you didn't realize before. And then you're back in your studio and you realize your PC is really loud if you listen to it. And so, yeah, I've had to invest in a lot of stuff that makes my PC basically almost silent if I record something. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, as Tony said, a lot of gear, but I try to keep the gear acquisition to a minimum because that's a pitfall that a lot of people fall into just buying more gear and more gear and you never really learn to use the gear before you get another one. So mm, my time is mostly spent trying to learn with what I have now and I'm pretty satisfied with what I have now. So I'm trying to invest as much time as possible, just experimenting. Sometimes there's something comes out of that, that that I can use. Sometimes it's just like two hours wasted, but at least I learned something and yeah. I guess the most important lesson is if you're banging your head against the wall repeatedly, don't forget to press record before. So maybe you can use that
1: <laughs> Yeah, when it comes to buying equipment, like I, I have permanent poor brain from when I was a kid. So I just, I'm the kind of person who goes to a store and looks at things for three hours and I'm like, no, can't can't afford it, even if I totally can, right? Yeah. And so like, I, I'm very much to just like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like I'll take the tools I have and figure out a way to make it work for me uh which sometimes works to my own detriment because it's like you could save like three hours of time by just like buying this one thing i'm like okay well but like uh i don't want to <laughs> it's I a totally fine dip. line
3: yeah but it's a good all skill right, to follow up. Yeah. yeah
1: sorry no you're fine the follow-up question to that tony is uh what is your what do your taxes look like if you're doing all of these different independent contractor projects like this uh <laughs> I'm assuming you pay out on a 1099 at the end of the year.
2: Oh yeah. Uh, and that's why I hire a CPA (laughs) and, uh, there's a great local, uh, CPA, uh, who I basically just give her all the information she needs and she takes care of the rest. Cause yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's honestly worth the money that I give her like seriously, because it's, it's, all that time of like, okay, here are like all my receipts. Here's all my, here's all my 1099s, you know, here's everything, a stack. It's like, if I were to try and do that myself, I'd probably be missing out on something. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's nice. It's honestly like, that's also an investment. I'd say it's like, I'm paying someone, I'm I'm delegating something. Uh, so I have more time to write. You know, I do that with my, now with my like orchestra pieces or, or you know, if I'm writing for uh just wrote a piece for a, an ensemble in Texas a couple months ago and, it's like, you know what, I write the music and it's there, but then like all the part extraction and the little, the little things that like you would actually have to hand someone. Mm-hmm. I literally, now I just, I will hire someone because it's like, it's like that time, the money that I'm making, it, it's worth sort of delegating those little things here and there. Uh, I even over, I feel like every week I tell my wife, I'm like, I just wish I had an assistant to like do my email. So, you know, cause it's so hard. It's so hard to run a one man show. Uh, it's very difficult. Um, so that's my thoughts on that.
1: <laughs> no, I'm getting to that point too myself. I'm like, I just, I just, there's no way for me to accomplish my goals and do all this administrative crap at the same time. But yeah, it, it's like also a balance of like, okay, well, how much, how much fucking money are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess we should transition back to talking more about the game itself. Damian, you this is all your vision. How do you like with these two guys working with you? How do you instill like this is what I want to accomplish in them and not lose anything in translation? Because I think you're just saying today like this is the first time you and Ben have ever even seen each other's faces. So this has all been through text.
0: You know, first of all, um, it's very easy to work with them. I don't know. We we have kind of a, a connection, similar interests, similar ideas yeah, we just a perfect match. So I, I guess we don't need to even talk to each other. Just, just type now and then. But secondly, um, development is pretty slow, so mm. they have a lot of time uh, to 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 get it right. I'm not pressuring either either of them because simply there is not enough content uh, to. I don't need them to pump out tracks and sounds and effects and so on at least uh, i think uh, that's <laughs> that's how i feel um, so yeah
1: that's it how do you keep them motivated if you're not giving
0: them projects? they are motivated by themselves i don't i don't give uh, motivational speeches i'm not uh, i'm not doing the uh, follow me charge oh, <laughs> no i don't do that um i don't need to they are okay. they are great guys they really are passionate about the project and that's why I appreciate them very much.
1: <laughs> so we we've de- like touched on it a little bit here and there, but you're you're expecting like a, you said a forty hour long experience with yeah, yeah, this yeah.
0: thing at least.
1: And how long do you think it's going to take you to like really get to that point?
0: Uh, that always hurts talking about this because I could say when it's done, but um, if I keep working part time. It's gonna take ten years. I'm pretty sure it's gonna take ten years. Um, I have a lot of technology done, a lot of programming done, but um, it's the assets, it's the writing, it's the level design that will. It's gonna take a lot of out of me. So um, I don't know. I'm hoping to to be able somehow to keep working on it full time. That would be perfect. Uh, that's either, uh, through Patreon in a few years, I guess, hopefully, but if not, uh, I may consider a publisher. Uh, I have been, I have been considering one lately, but, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure I want to go that route. It's too much stress. Uh, I really, I really don't want stress in my life because, uh, of my, uh, medical condition, uh, I'm very susceptible to stress, so I need to take it easy. And via Patreon, um, it's it's really not stressful for me. It really works great. It's not enough to support me yet, but I hope one day. Um, but uh, yeah, I digress. What was I talking about? How long it's going to take? Yeah, 10 years. Uh, if I would be working full time, I guess it could drop down to five, but then I w- Recently, I've also been considering the scope. Uh, the story would take you a pretty big route around the kingdom as I've as I designed it. As I, uh, so I'm thinking about shortening up a bit uh, the routes, put less villages, less, place, less places that uh, won't uh, affect negatively the game. So I'm working on that as of uh, right now.
1: Yes, I understand, like, as an artist, you have, like, a... Well, I keep using that word artist, and you, you shot away from it earlier, but, like, designing a game is an art form,
0: so let's
1: at least agree upon that. It is. You, you have an idea of what you want to create, and then the reality of, like, what it takes to create that, and then we have to factor in, okay, if you don't deliver a product, you'll never get any profit from that product, and then you can't, you know... Uh, what, what about, you know... Releasing it in an episodic sort of way, like early, you know, early access. Uh, here's how much you get, and then, all right, based on that profit we get from that, let's work from there to create the next part of it. And is that possible within the way that you've mapped out the game? Even,
0: I've considered a lot of options. Uh, early access to many people are telling me even today that uh, I should go early access, especially publisher guys. <laughs> all right, uh, that. It could work, but I don't think so. Um, if it were an open-world game uh, like, like, like The Witcher or, uh, or Skyrim, uh, where you can go anywhere at any time, do quests, do only those quests and be fine with it, uh, it would be okay, it would be doable. But mine is pretty much like a book. Uh, mm. It's a story. It's, a, it's, uh, it's all based around the story. Also exploration, you could have some of that. You, I don't limit uh, anyone. You can go uh, anywhere, anytime. But uh, it's still, uh, you, get, you need to follow that red red line. Uh, to, so if I early accessed it, um, it would be problematic. I could, uh, I, was, I was considering also a, an episodic model, you know, Basically, if I'm doing a book, you could release the prologue, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, and so on. Yeah. Uh, I still haven't given up on that, but I would also like to release a complete game, not, not, not what they did with Half-Life, you know, Half-Life 2. Yeah. Uh, and then it uh, abruptly ended. Uh, I want to deliver a full product, a full experience in one go, because, um, I don't know, I'm still not sure uh, I feel like it needs to be a whole, a perfect experience from the boot time to until you complete it. I don't believe in in. I really don't believe in first uh, in early access, especially not for for these types of games. It's like releasing yes. early access an adventure game. This is basically this is this is not really an RPG. I, I market it as such, but it's basically an adventure game with RPG elements.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I, I totally understand the instinct of I don't, you know, I don't like the early access model. I don't necessarily like it either, but I do like things that help indie developers, you know, pay for what they need to pay for to get their project done. Uh, so I, I guess it makes sense that you don't want to have people, you know, play. Uh, look at Postal 4 right now. I'm not even sure if you're following that project, but it's like, you know, Monday, Tuesday, like that's how they release it. So you get like a, another chunk of the game every so mm-hmm. often in the early access, and wa- simultaneously, like they they have all you know they're fixing the bugs and they're doing, they're adding new content and new things to the pre existing areas and all that. Um, I don't know if that that probably doesn't really work for you anyway because of the nature of you know how it's like. Okay, chapter one, chapter two. I guess if you did that route, it would make sense to do it that way, but. Then you have to worry about like, okay, if people get the wrong impression of the game at first, like if it just comes out in early access and looks like you know kind of like shit or is just incomplete and you don't get the best experience out of it, how much are they going to want to like give it that up upvote and keep people wanting to buy it um so it's like a timing thing, I guess you'd have to play your cards right and you know, not show your hand too early I don't know
0: you know but, even even if I had an episodic model uh, I still would have to build the whole world i wouldn't necessarily have the story in place but the story yeah. is only so much such a part of the game uh so i would have to have a, that open world i couldn't have barriers preventing you to go into the next town you know
1: what if you had a, another level designer or another uh, texture artist or another yeah writer? i'm looking i'm looking
0: into that i'm looking to hire help uh, now that uh, i released a demo and I'm going to release another one, I think in a year's time, uh, my vision will be somehow set in stone. Uh, I got the graphics, got the mood, uh, got everything I need. So I can look for people who'd be willing to basically clone myself <laughs> and do <laughs> the work that I can't, that I, uh, that, that, that I don't have time to do. Basically 3D modeling, texturing, um, Maybe even level design, yeah, that sort of thing. I would be, I would, I will probably start looking for at least one or two uh, such persons soon. Yeah, it's not realistic.
1: Yeah, like a twenty thirty one release for this game is, uh, that's too long. Yeah, Yeah. it's wild. It's entirely too long, man. Like, so, so what's the what's the amount of money that gets you working full time?
0: What's the amount of money? <laughs> Oof. A billion dollars. One hundred billion. Dollars. 100 billion I, you dollars. know, you know, I need gas for my Porsche. <laughs> no, uh, around two thousand dollars would do the trick. Mainly because so of like mortgage and stuff. Yeah.
1: Pay the mortgage, keep food on the table. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. The living standards are not really high here in Slovenia, so I wouldn't need a major sum, but yeah.
3: But consistent over time. So.
0: Yep, consistent, yeah. That's what okay. that's what Patreon is perfect for. You know, if you got yeah. a lot of patrons, it might fluctuate. But uh it's not like uh, okay if you get one patron paid, paying you one thousand dollars and you fear he he might drop the next month. Uh that's a right. problem but you don't that's that's not how Patreon works. Uh that's why I like it
1: uh so in your negotiations with potential publishers mm-hmm. uh, there's lots of different ways that they do these deals and uh, some of them are really shady and i hate them but is there no option where it's like okay uh here's a general timeline of how long it would take me to finish it and i need this much money per month until then is that a, like an option at all or at least a supplemental amount of money that would get you to speed up the process
0: yeah yeah that, that's one way uh, well, you know that they're, they're taking fifty percent fifty percent of the sales, Fuck that. which is tough. But that's the norm. They also take uh, a fifteen. I'm I'm not telling you which publisher this is, but it's a pretty good one. And uh, they also take a fifty percent uh, on top of all they've invested into you, all that they've given to you. You basically need to repay everything they advanced to you to them back. They also need to pay all the other people, employees and third parties who uh, did something for the project before I even get one cent, you know? And uh, if the game doesn't sell, you know, and they also get uh, rights for the sequels and so on, there's, there's so many things uh, that you, uh, that you uh, limit yourself. If you're with a publisher, it's, it's tough. And also the stress, you know, deadlines, deadlines, uh i mean internally i have some form of deadlines but they're not uh i don't uh, get to go to lose my house if i if i screw something up you know
1: no, I totally understand. It's a risk versus reward thing. Yeah, I, I I struggle with that. I've I've talked to many people who've ended up in these like fifty percent deals plus pay me pay, pay us back for all of our initial investment in you, mm-hmm. and like, well, that's not really an investment at that point for the from the side of the mm-hmm. developer. Like, they, that's them saying we don't believe in you. Uh, right. As far as I'm concerned, you know, like uh, we don't think you can actually do what you say you can do. Or and and I understand they have to have some sort of skepticism, but I mean. When you're making an investment in something, you're risking your money. And when they say, okay, well, yeah. we're going to give you this much and then you owe it to us back on top of all the other shit we're going to take from you. That's literally, they might as well just slap you in the face and call you their bitch. Like,
0: Yeah. I, I, I mean, don't like that at all. They, it's not in their interest to, to lose money, to lose you. But uh, still, uh, if you get into, the, into a bad relationship or into the red numbers, it's, it's scary. So, um, I'm not really prepared right now to go into that. I'm preparing the detailed uh, timeline. I've been doing this in this last week to get some more detailed plan going, which I would need for the publisher anyway. Uh, So, I'll see after that.
1: Yeah. I just don't want to see you in like a Duke Nukem Forever situation where it's like it takes you 15 years to publish the game, and then by the time it's published, it's like you did. your original vision is no longer even there. Right. Yeah. Kind of situation. Uh, and then technology will change between then and now. And will there even still be a market at that point for, you know, like a retro kind of game? Because all the people that currently are like, yeah, I played uh, betrayal at Crondor door 20 years ago or whatever. Like, are they going to still exist?
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> they're,
1: they're all going to be like <laughs> decrepit old senior citizens. Yeah.
0: Me, me included. Um, right. Okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's possible i mean
0: i don't want to get there but uh hopefully i'll figure something out um, i i think the first thing i can do is to reduce the scope i'm I'm working on reducing the scope uh we'll see but still yeah. it will still be a big game because uh, if you're if you're going to read all the text that i'm throwing at you it's gonna become a 100 hour game anyway so let's flip my
1: original question and ask yep. you guys: Like, what keeps you you two motivated, Tony and Ben, uh, to
2: continue working on this at such a slow pace? Well, you know, if I'm being honest, there were moments, especially and no need to go into you know super personal details, but like a couple years ago, uh, even last year, like in my in my life, you know, health things with with my family, and you know, I, there was a, a real awful loss in the family last June. I mean, there were just all these moments over the past few years, which, um, that causes stress when I already have all these other work related stress, like in those moments, there were, there were little moments where I was like, you know, like, can I even still work on this game? Cause I have so many other things to do, but there was always a part of me. There's always a part of me that was like, you know, there's, there's something to this. There is something to this game that it would do me And my creativity and my, and my life and, and Damian's vision and all that, it would be a big disservice if I were to back out, right? Like there, and I'm not saying like I would brood over this, but there were like little moments, especially in the super, super stressful situations where I was like, ah, like I just, I just don't know how I'm going to handle all this. But, um, I'm really glad and grateful that I stuck around because the, the response, especially after the demo, that was like the deciding factor for me. I think I was like, you know, there's, there's really something to this that, the the response has been unreal. I mean like even people just here I am saying like oh this is my music you know I, I kinda hide my face. It's like I don't it's always so hard to just be like okay with what I create uh completely all the time. And so when people are like, oh man, the music's great, really, really can't wait to hear more, you know, I think the player response is 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 one of the biggest motivations. Um and just even even social media response, you know, when when Damian posts something on Screenshot Saturday and it gets like five hundred likes in about five hours or whatever it is, so like, you know what, there is really that I, I go back to this. There's really something to this project that it's really ringing, it's really ringing true to people's hearts and nostalgia. There's a big nostalgia factor, I think. Um, you know, it, it. I think I think that motivates me. Sort of that, the knowledge that people want this, the knowledge that this is a product that will happen, despite people on Reddit saying, oh, you know, a one man team with a big RPG, not going to happen. There was someone on Reddit who said that when you posted your trailer. And, I would
1: uh, say that, uh, honestly, like, first impression, uh, this, is, this is the first thing I think I was like, that's not fucking possible. No,
2: no fuck. But problem.
0: it is. Dumb. Don't underestimate Dom young. Never, never, never listen to Reddit. Never follow Reddit. <laughs> I, just ignore I it. I, I'm not posting anything there anymore. It just, uh, it, it, yeah, it's. It
2: brings you down, man. Yeah. yeah. So to, to see the player response big time is like, even screenshots, you know, when he posts a screenshot, I'm like, oh, like I can't wait to get to the keyboard, you know, like all those little things, the frequent updates, the frequent interaction uh, is, is, is what keeps me going. And I think, again, just the, the knowledge that it, it will be something. It will be a game that people will like. Like it's just, there's no doubt about it. I think for me that is that is such a draw creatively. Um, may not be any time frame or or deadlines per se, but there is a certain deadline of pressure to to make a good product to satisfy the players, and I think that that's what keeps me keeps me rolling.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm really ben. grateful for that. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually it's disappointed that Ben does not have a mohawk because in the picture on your website he does, and I was just like, oh, this is gonna be cool.
0: Yeah,
3: it would be normally be because- good. But because of Corona, I can't get to the hairdressers. And I, so, yeah, unfortunately, no Mohawk. I'll come over and just shave the sides for you. It's no big deal. <laughs> I tried that once and it looked horrible. So I'm just trusting my one hairdresser friend. And yeah. So, yeah, for me, it's the same as with Tony. That's the, the project really jumped uh, at me. I, I saw the screenshots and I saw, I, I think, a first short video or something on, on Twitter when I contacted Druin and I thought, man, that's just like such a unique style and a unique game. And it it reminds me of my, of my youth, but also not as shitty, like, like the way you remember it, the games to be. So, um, my first, yeah, my first real like motivation was that he gave me a chance to work on this and let me in into his, his, his project and his vision. And so, as I'm a very stubborn guy, I like to like stay on project and like finish stuff up. But over time, I learned that he's really shown to be reliable and s- creates steadily p- progress in the game and like realizes his vision. It's not like I have the fear that if it takes 10 years, he will just give up after 8. I think he will just go on until it's finished and that really motivates me to finish my part as well and be a part of the story. So, yeah, seeing that he's consistently working and putting all his passion into it and like really stays with it really resonates with me. And yeah, that's why I like to work on this as well. So right. Yeah. He really motivates me by being motivated. That's, that's the truth. Yeah.
2: Right. I would say too, what's, what's, what's really neat is, is I think out of anything that I've worked on for games um, this call of Sargonar is probably the one that feels most truly uh <clears throat> excuse me like it leans most into like we kind of talked about before the music that I know well, the music that mm-hmm. I know how to make real like it it everything that I like about music, I get to funnel into this project, um whereas other games right where I've had to kind of dabble into like chip tune, which is great, fantastic, you know there's those little moments from like, oh, like I just wanted it to be an orchestra, right or like another project to work on where they were like, yeah, we want Celtic lo-fi music. I'm like, sure. You know, you're paying me to do it. So I will do it crazy experiment. And it, you know, I would give myself a five out of 10 with that experiment, but like little things, other smaller projects that are, 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 are pushing my boundaries. This one pushes my boundaries in ways that I feel comfortable ways that I feel able to do without feeling stressful. Right. I'm not going to YouTube and like, okay, well, how do I mix A lo-fi drum kit. Right. Like I'm not, you know, it's sort of just like a part of me that I know I just, I can just fuel in a way I can fuel myself into this project. Um, And I think that is something that I greatly cherish.
1: Something that Ben said just a few minutes ago that really stood out to me is actually Damian, you and I talked about this in text quite, quite extensively. Before this interview, but there's a there's this temptation to create things that are you know uh, nostalgic in terms of I want to create the experience I had when I was a kid, right? Like the, when I first played whatever, it, whether it be for me like Doom or whether it for you be you know the trailer Crondor or Daggerfall or Morrowind or anything like that. There's the uh, the rose tinted glasses that we look at the past through, right? So mm. I remember having a a tremendous amount of fun playing a game. And if you try to recreate that experience exactly as it was experienced at the time, it's never actually as good as it was, you know.
0: <laughs> Especially
1: true. with the expectations that people have created for themselves today in terms of like, oh you know, it should only take up the X amount of file space. It should run exactly this well with this many frames per second and the audio should be fantastic and yada 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 all, all the way down the line. And so what I had talked to you about in general was like, okay, so we have all this text in the game. And while I personally am extremely patient and I really like that sort of thing, the market of people out there who are buying games, right? So there's the people who are already your Patreon supporters who love betrayal at Cron and they want to play that game. But then there's the question of like, okay, but how much money do you really want to make? <laughs> and how many people do you want to enjoy your product? And I don't know how many people out there just want to like, essentially read a book in a game. Uh, So with that said, that's just one example of many different aspects of creating such a game that you'd have to deal with. But how do you intend to change things from the past to kind of recreate the feeling of those older games without um, giving in to limiting yourself?
0: You know, I don't feel uh, uh, just um, just modernizing the interfaces is the control scheme brings some quality of life improvements into the game mm-hmm. will do a lot. I don't want to change what the game is. I, I mm-hmm. still think there are many people who, many, many people who would enjoy this kind of game as it is. Uh, they just don't know about the game there are so many people that each day come into twitter oh how come i never heard of this project you know and uh, this is only because it has not spread enough i think Uh, Mm -hmm. when i released the demo i only released it to the patrons just to give them a sample and even the Outside uh, response was enormous. But once I release a public demo in a year or so, it will be much, much, much nicer, much bigger, much more perfect. Uh, I, I plan to draw many people into 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 it, into knowing. Maybe even the, uh, the major media will get to notice it and uh, write.
1: Yeah, this I is hope exactly the kind of thing. Something, that- you know
0: on the other hand getting a publisher would get me probably many many more <laughs> people aware of the game but uh right now i don't want to go there but i believe there is a market for it uh, simply because there is no not one single game like it on the market and i don't think there is ever going to be it's simply uh it's a Project of passion. I am so passionate about this project, about this game of telling a unique story, uh, having a uh, f- f- uh, photo uh, photographed characters. Uh, nobody's going to do this project. I think it's it's gonna be the only one. Many, I think, for decades, if ever. I think it's-
1: that when you release this and it, people see how awesome and successful it is, that they're gonna like try to do it over. Like they're like, oh yeah, I want to make a game like. That.
0: yeah I hope they don't do it anytime sooner because uh, <laughs> they would outpace me like this <laughs> uh, so um, I have high high expectations uh, but um, yeah it's all into getting uh, the word out that's why I'm I'm doing all this every single Saturday these screenshot Saturdays and uh, it gets a lot of people in each time but uh, once yeah. once uh, you know uh, once, once you get a retweet from someone who has forty thousand followers, uh, you know that day uh, someone retweeted. Uh, it was the Dusk developer. Yeah, I I failed to.
1: David Szymanski. Yeah,
0: when he retweeted. Or Dave Oshry. which one? No, 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 not Dave. The other one. Uh, yeah, uh, when he retweeted, I got like ten new patrons that day. I got a hundred new followers on one account, a hundred on the other account. It was crazy. So yeah. uh, you know what the media can do. Uh, so I'm trying to get the word out. That's the best I can do. But I'm not willing to sacrifice the vision to please someone who, who won't like the game. Yeah, yeah. Right. I'm, I'm tapping into that niche, but that niche is still, I think, big enough. To make the game successful, I mean, ultimately, I want to get the game out. Uh, not not really get a lot of money for it, but if I get enough money to work on a sequel and pay the guys who work for me, uh, um, I'll be fine with it. That that's, that's 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 not just fine with it. It would be the dream of mine to keep working on sequels, trilogy, trilogy. At least <laughs> a trilogy. It's all planned already. <laughs> yeah. It's
1: Call of 3. Call 3 released in
3: 2071. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Lo-fi VR version.
0: <laughsAUDIO> yeah, right. In the galaxy far, far away. Yeah. Yeah, right. Futuristic. In <laughs> uh, the year 3021. <laughs> you never know what uh, what's gonna happen. But uh, no, I I don't I don't like mixing uh genres for example like yeah. like uh wizard rated or might and magic with the sci-fi elements no i, I hate that i really hate that yeah. i can tolerate I it but no
1: <laughs> something that tony said a little bit ago too was the when you play the game itself like when you actually get your hands on it there is something just truly special about it like i i wouldn't be here talking to you if i didn't think that to be honest <laughs> thanks um so like, i mean honestly like i I only have so much time in my life to like sit down and talk to people for three or four hours. And I, I try to be pretty selective about who those people are. And that's not always like, what's the best move for my podcast right now. It's not always like a, uh, you know, if I get this guy on, I'll get like 30 million downloads or whatever. And then I'll be like super famous. Like, don't get me wrong. I there, I want that to happen, but I want it to happen organically. Like I want to talk to people that I want to talk to. Like when I got to talk to like Cliff Blazinski, uh, that was pretty huge for the show, but it wasn't because like, oh, Cliff will give me so much exposure. It was like, I really want to talk to this guy. He's an interesting, Mm -hmm. complicated, deep person. And when I got my hands on Call of Ragnar, like I had already, like I had many people tell me that you got to check this out. It looks great. And when I got my hands on it, that was the moment when it was like, I definitely want to reach out and try to get this going. Like I want to do anything I can to like support, talk to you guys, understand what your challenges are. And if there's anything that, I can do as a, you know, as someone who talks to a lot of developers all the fucking time to help out, uh, I definitely want to be in a position to do so. So this has been really fun to just kind of not only like I can already feel the passion behind the game from the game itself, but getting a chance to hear you talk about it yourself just reinforces that. You know, and I'm hoping yeah. that people Will also hear this and feel the same way.
0: I'm really thankful for this opportunity, <laughs> even if you're even if you're going to lose a, a lot of subscribers because you're deviating from the FPS genre. But yeah, I, I think yeah.
1: first of all, I think that's the opposite of the truth. I think that limiting <laughs> myself to just FPS is not right anyway. And first of all, I just personally don't want to just be the FPS thing forever. Like I I really enjoy these games. If I didn't enjoy them, I wouldn't talk about them, but I like other types of games too. You know, I I had Airdorf on to talk about faith. I want to have you guys on. I want to have other people like doing similar things on, uh, or just not be pigeonholed into one deal. And I'm hoping that your audience and my audience can cross pollinate and make little FPS slash (laughs) RPG. Let's hope so. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. You know, whenever
0: I see a, Whenever I saw FPS games, uh, especially, you know, those ambiented in the gothic setting, I always felt like this should be an RPG, damn it. <laughs> and uh, it never was. It was an FPS. I mean, it's not that I dislike FPS, but I really love stories in games. And I would, I would love to have, you know, at least an NPC or two in it to, to, to mm, put the setting into place. Mm. Uh, I don't know how to describe it. Uh, each time I f- I found one of those uh, FPSs uh, like Hexen uh, and Witch Haven, they all looked so great. Uh, but I really wanted them to be, let's say, something more, even if it would probably hurt them uh, in the process of making them games they are not. But I always uh, wanted them to be RPGs. <laughs> <laughs> Or at least I mean, Quake part was
1: originally them. supposed to be yeah. sort of a. Had, have
0: knights and swords and all that stuff, yeah. But it wouldn't be so popular if they did that. I'm pretty well, sure. War
1: would be a very different place.
0: It would have been, from, yeah. For,
1: for gaming, anyway. <laughs> yeah. you know, that's, that's the engine that everything after it, as far as FPS came along, was, if not directly derivative of that engine, then strongly influenced by it. And then the whole you know arena FPS multiplayer was kind of. Other than, uh, I guess we could say StarCraft, you know, RTS genre, that was the beginning of esports and Quake Worlds, All right? Especially. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't. That's I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to know what the world of gaming would look like had Quake come out the way that it was intended. But I totally get your instinct there. Yeah. <sighs> So we're coming up on like hour twenty minutes. I don't want to go too long with you guys because I know we all have lives to live, and I do have to be at the the Z Day twentieth anniversary stream here pretty soon. So that's gonna be fun. But no problem. Uh, just closing thoughts from everybody. Like, what if you had like one elevator pitch of like this is why this game is so special? I'd
2: like to hear it. Oh, I'm terrible
0: at the elevator pitches. I'm going to tag Tony.
2: Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'd say, I'd say if you want to capture, in a sense, your childhood, or you want to capture that whenever, whatever, whenever, however old you were when you played, you know, the golden age of computer games, I'd say in the nineties, this will be the game for you, truly. Uh, And I don't say that even as someone working on it, I say that as someone who, Played it right. I say that as someone who has played the game, because um, again, I've I've tried to go back and play Morrowind or go back and play Daggerfall. And I'm like, it's just not, it's just not what it's, it seems, right? It's not, it's mm. not what I remember. But then I play Call of Sarikinar. I'm like, you know what? This feels fresh, but it's in a style that I love and cherish from my upbringing. And um, yeah, so that's yeah, that's my that's my elevator pitch for all of you out there. <laughs> I agree
3: 100%.
2: <sighs> ben,
3: any closing thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I could only say the same because for me it's exactly the same when I booted it up. Um, the first thing that I wrote to Ruan after I was finished, I, w- I wanted to know how it, how it, the story developed further because I was really interested. I was I got hooked. It was like those free demos you got back then and you had to wait like a year or two to buy the box and you were really antsy to get your hands on it. So, yeah, I really want to play this game when it's finished so that's why i want to make it a reality and like you said if people give it a chance if people see it and just like try it out they will feel that there's something special to it and that's really unique and like nothing else that's out there right now so yeah
0: you see uh, i don't even have to make a pitch because uh, i just pointed people and everybody likes it this is really really the best thing I can I can say about the project uh, just just as people who have tried it played it uh, you'll understand uh, that there's some there's some real soul put into it at least uh, yeah that's how I, I I feel about this project I put a lot of soul into it I'm not in for the money even if, if uh, even if it would be nice but uh, I just want to get out there uh, get the story out there to for people to experience what's in my head. Uh, There is no better place to, to get uh, my thoughts out than in a game. And ultimately, yeah, yeah, go Go to, go to (laughs) patreon.com slash. I need to, I need to type down so I can spell this. (laughs) Patreon.com slash R. H-U-A-N-T-A-V-A-N. Yeah, I made it. <laughs> Very catchy. Go ahead. Yeah.
1: I'll put the link in the episode notes.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's <either> better. <laughs> Don't try to type this but, uh,
1: Make sure you send me everything. Like I, I think I have all of your Twitters and, and such, but uh, yeah, whatever you want included in the episode notes, make sure you send it to me. Thanks, I'll do it. But with all that said... Um, <laughs> Yeah, like I said, I'm super passionate about this. I think this game is going to be fucking awesome, even if it takes forever to come out. And Hopefully, if In the Keep is still around in 10 years, I'll get to follow along with you guys as each, each step goes along. I want to see it. Like when the demo comes out next year, I want you guys to be on and talk about it again, and so on and so forth. If you end up getting a publisher, like we have to have a celebration party. I'll, I'll bring some champagne. <laughs> It'll be fantastic. That'll um, be nice,
0: yeah. I appreciate yeah. it. I appreciate a lot Super for this opportunity to be on the podcast. Um, it's my first one, so it's even it's even more special this way.
1: It won't be the last, I can assure you. Thanks, <laughs> and I hope people. so. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm happy to have gotten you on before PC Gamer figures out what you're doing, because when they do, then it's going to be like, oh,
0: fucking they're, gonna, they're definitely going to write an article. Yeah, they're going to hate it so much text. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: So the music that you're hearing right now is from the Call of Serignar soundtrack by, of course, Tony Manfredonia. I hope I'm saying your name right, man. But that was a really great conversation. I want to thank Ben, Tony, and, of course, Damian for being a part of the show. It was really an awesome experience just to hear that kind of true, honest-to-goodness passion. Um, It's rare that you get people that are so completely open about it, you know? And this is certainly the definition of a passion project. That said, gotta say thank you to all of our supporters. So I'm not going to read the names off this time because we only have so much time before this song ends, but thank you to everyone who is a Patreon supporter. Reminder to all of you out there who are not currently supporting in some way that, uh, nitro boosters on our discord, Patreon supporters, uh, Anybody who's made it like a crazy donation, which has happened quite a few times, thankfully, uh, all get episodes early through the exclusive In The Keep podcast Discord. Uh, Also, they get the chance to ask questions to some of our guests uh, when applicable or when available, and uh, just interact, be part of the family. If you're looking for a way to support the show, go to inthekeep.com forward slash support. All of our different ways that you can support the show are right there, for you, including our Amazon affiliate link. Um, I've noticed, I looked over last year's sales records, I can't see who bought what, but I can see what they bought. And, even stuff like cat food, vitamins, uh, you know, PC parts, anything like that, every little bit counts. Get a little kickback from that, doesn't cost you anything extra, and the Drown God really appreciates it. Which makes me happy, so she doesn't kill me. Love you all, till next time, stay the keep.